0: God for those who are also worshiping online. I want everyone to continue to put their trust in God. This is the time to know the Lord. I said to my wife this morning, I said to her, I said, the Bible says they that know the Lord their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. This is the time more than ever before to know God. If anybody is under the sound of my voice, and uh, you have been taking the things of God with levity and just enjoying God, that's good. But I want to beg of you, our world has been hit like it has never been hit before. Never has the world, considering the population of the world as it stands now, been afflicted on a mass scale. As we are currently witnessing, our governments and people are trying everything possible to arrest this so called invisible enemy. But I believe that the hope lies in the church. I believe that the hope lies in the hands of God. And the elect must not neglect this duty. This is a time to stand strong. This is a time to stop playing church politics. This is a time to stop being casual with the things of God. This is the time to pray. This is the time to study the word. This is the time to be serious. This is the time to cry out to God and continue to ask for his mercy to prevail over our land. And I want us to join that army of the people globally that will be determining that by the grace and mercies of God, we will together, with the help of God, overcome this scourge against our world in the name of Jesus. For people who have lost their jobs and people who may be contemplating giving up, people who have lost loved ones in the last few months, people who have had businesses crash on them, people who have had Situations change drastically because of what our world is going through. I want you to know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you put your trust in him, I want you to know that you will not be put to shame. Whatever you have faced today, however the situation might have been for you today, I want you to trust in God. And I want you to remain strong. But keep knowing him. The secret of strength in God is knowledge. Knowledge. They that know the Lord, their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. I pray that God will continue to reveal himself to you. In the name of Jesus, if I can say to pastor colleagues worldwide, I know I, have, I may not have a large voice, but if you can hear this, this is the time to teach the people the pure word of God. This is the time to teach the pure word of God. This is not the time to teach business and teach those things that are, that are unnecessary for the building of the body of Christ. I'm not saying we won't do business and we shouldn't know business. We should learn those things. But this is the time to teach the word of God to the people that they know how to be strong for themselves and how to confront the enemy over their children, how to confront their enemy over their spouses and over their lives. This is the time to teach the body of Christ the pure and genuine and sincere word of God. Let us not streak away from it. And by the grace of God, as God has been helping us in this place in our own way, I want us all to continue to dig deeper into the Word of God. If you have any assignment to teach the Word of God in this place, in this church, I'm talking to our local congregation now, whether it's in the early morning prayer, a 10-minute charge, or the midweek service, or any time you have time, you you have been called upon to teach the Word of God, please go on your knees and pray. Go on your knees and say, Lord, what is it that you would want me to share with your people? Because this is the time to know God through his word. Let us take every opportunity to do so. And may the Lord continue to increase every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We want to welcome you all time to the presence of God. And particularly those also who are joining online. I believe God that you are hearing us clearly. And God is helping you to be part of the service. And I want to say thank you to those of you who have made it to the service today. I know that God is fighting for us indeed, and um, I want to continue to encourage you to be strong. Whilst we go through these very difficult times, I want you to stay resolute in God and to continue to seek his face. Hallelujah. We are on the sixth of, a, uh, of our series, an eight part series on embracing ministry gifts for restful increase. We are on the sixth session today and this sixth session is on what we call, the, what I call the table ministry. You won't find it like that, clearly written in the Word of God, but you will find references to tables, seven tables, which we have read and we'll be looking at further today. The table ministry. And this table ministry begins the, the last three of the, uh, of, of the topics in the series, in which we're looking at the, what we call the operational gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 4 to verse 6, we read last week and we're going to read again today that the Bible makes us to understand that there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit. We said those refer to what we call the manifestation gifts. From 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 11, you can, you can read those later on. The Bible talks about them. There are nine in number. They are called, we, we code them and categorize them as the manifestation gifts, which every believer is called upon by the power of the Holy Spirit to manifest. They come by the Spirit. Now, verse 5. He said, and there are differences of ministries but the same Lord. We said these are the ones we read about in Ephesians chapter 4. From verse 11, which talks about the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. We call them popularly the fivefold ministry, but they come from the same Lord. They are the gifts of Jesus Christ. Now we know that the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God the Father are one, but we know that in their operations, they are different. And God, in His wisdom, has made them one, even though they are diverse. Only one of them came to die for us, for example. Only one of them is given to us as a comforter, and so on. But every manifestation of God in the Trinity expresses His uniqueness in the diverse uh, nature or the diverse persons, rather, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, even though they are one. So, there are diversities, there are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. So, we've talked about those ministries. The first five sessions was looking at these ministries. Now, we're going to take some. In verse 6, the Bible says, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. This is what we call the operational gifts. The King James Version says there are diversities of operations. The original King James says there are diversities of operations. Diversities of operations. The NIV says there are diversities of services. So these are the operational gifts. This is what helps the body of Christ to function not just from the strategic point of view that the ministry gifts enable us to function or the administrative gifts enable us to function, but in our day-to-day working together and making the work effective and efficient, God gives gifts. He works it all in all. He works it in every one of us in order to be able to serve in this way. So it is important... So we're going to just take, there are many of them as well, but we're just going to take three of them in the course of this series. And as God helps us later on and inspires, we will take others as he leads. But we will take the operational gifts of the table ministry this week. Next week, we'll look at the benevolent ministry. And then we will look at the leadership ministry or table uh, and benevolence and leadership in the course of This week, next Sunday, and the final of the series in two weeks' time. So it is very important to understand that every member of the body of Christ is called to function differently. We are called to function differently. One of the problems we have in the body of Christ today is that we have an expectation that people should be like us. So when we find that people are not like us, we we get worried. It's like in a marriage. Every husband wants their wife to be the way they want them to be, especially like them. And every wife, if they have their way, want their husband to be like them, or they want them to be the way they want them to be, even if it's not exactly like. There's a way we expect of each person to be. And meanwhile, God has designed that we are different. God has designed in his wisdom that we operate differently. For those of you online, you would remember or you may not have known that we read earlier on, Pastor Moses led us in the Bible reading today from Romans chapter 12, from verse 4 to 8. We will read verse 4 to 7 again very quickly. And I just want to point out some things there. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. The Bible says, for as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have. Somebody said they do not have. All members do not have the same function. If these words settle for you, you will understand and appreciate your brother more than ever before. What I cannot do is what you can do. Amen. What you can do is what I cannot do. What you cannot do is what I can do. And what he can do is what she cannot do. And what she can do is what he cannot do. And so on and so forth. In God's wisdom for operational efficiency in the body, the Bible says all members do not have the same function. Now because they belong to all, the Bible says we have many members in one body because we are in the one body we may be able to try to help each other to do certain things. But the real Agenda and purpose of God is that we do those things that he has actually designed us to do. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, about today's message and this week's theme. And then God showed me a picture of me, myself, trying to come out of those doors, those swindled doors. I was in my house, but he took me to those doors at the back of the hall. And he said, if you are going to come out of that hall, what is the best part of your body to use? I said, Lord, it's my hand. Any of my hands will just push the door open. He said, but do you know you can turn your back at it and push it? Do you know you can use your head to push it? Do you know you can use your foot to push it? He said, but none of those things serve as efficiently as your hand will. And this picture came back. That picture helped me to see this some more. Now, we can try to do things to cover up and just make things keep working. But what God is expecting of us is that the very purpose for which you have been called to operate within the body of Christ, everyone, the Bible says, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members, not the pastors, not the apostles, not the evangelists, not those people that we've talked about so much in the last few weeks, all the members, all the members do not have the same function. Let's go to verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Say with me, we have individuality in our unity. I think I've preached a message like that before here. Individuality in our unity. Many times we think that unity means we have to be the same thing. So people say, I can't be united with them because they're not like me. That's why you should be united. <laughs> God made them not like you because we can't all be the same. So the idea is that we fit together to complement each other. I always use the jigsaw puzzle. We don't have them again. I don't know whether we still do jigsaw puzzles. Those things that we used to play with that has a picture and it has many pieces in them. Maybe they put them as a, and it's, now, <laughs> it's now on their time, what do you call apps now, maybe. But we used to have them as big cardboards they'll have a picture of a place. How many of you have ever seen one? I'm sure you, okay, praise the Lord. So there is a picture of a place and then they cut it into 500 pieces. The more the pieces, the more difficult it is to, to assemble it. But usually, the more the, 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 the pictures are, the, the more the, the thrill you get when you assemble a 50 piece, 500 piece. At, when I was young, they used to compete with it. It used to be a, a, a championship, where they put a 1,000 pieces, 5,000 pieces, see who, the same picture, the same puzzle with the same cut-up pieces, and they, uh, they, they, they compete to see who assembles it best. And when, the picture, when you are putting it one by one, it doesn't make sense. But when you see how the pieces are cut together and you are putting them in the right place, the picture starts to emerge. It starts to emerge, and it's always so beautiful. This is how the body of Christ must understand. Verse 6, it says, Having then gifts that are differing, Having then gifts that are differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us do what? Let us do what? Let's read verse 6 together. Everybody, let's go now. Everywhere, online, everybody shout it out loud. Let's go. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in the proportion of our faith. And then verse 7 says what? Verse 7. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. And it carries on in verse 8, but we're stopping there for now. We'll treat verse 8 next week and the week after. The word ministry there means service. In some translations it says, if in service, let us use them in our service. You can read them in various translations like that. But the key thing there is he said, having them, go back to verse 6, please. Let me, let me do it here. He said, having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Not go about telling people that we have those gifts. Not go about saying that that is my gift. You know, my gift is administration. My gift is singing. My gift, no, you use it. You use it. There is a grace that is given to us to understand that we must use our gifts. The reason you are able to do what you do in your secular engagement outside is because there is a grace to do those things there. But ultimately, that grace is also to enable you to make use of the gift within the body of Christ. Not everybody is good with certain things. Not everybody is skilled with handiwork. Not everybody is killed with administration. Not everybody is good with paperwork. Some people, the moment you put two pieces of paper together, you have lost them. <laughs> they are just not wired up that way. Meanwhile, some people, if you bring 50 pieces to them and say, this is what we want to go through, you will see all their energy boiling like that. Because they are, they, are, they are designed to be like that. They are designed to be like that. Those of us that have the grace and the grace the, the, have been standing in front of people since I was four years old. The first time they put me on the stage to do something, I was only four years old. And I did it, the whole church, about 600 people were shouting, and they were excited, and they, they asked me to demonstrate something, and I didn't know anything that it would be so, that was the first day I saw that, so you can just do something little like this, and people will be happy. <laughs> Hallelujah. They asked me to demonstrate the, our church then, the church I was born into, but uh, they, they just built a, a nursery school, so my father... And another elder were responsible for, because my father is an educationist, and uh, the other elder was like the um, kind of financial secretary of the church. So they were both responsible for the project. So they just bought a new set of furniture. So the, the elder who was to present it to the church to say, we are kicking off the school, we bought these desks and chairs. You know those little, like we have today in nursery schools, small desk and chair. So he put it on the stage. He called the pastor's son, who was my friend. He's two years older than me. He's going to be with the Lord now, my my very close friend. We grew up together. But he called him first, and he said he was shy that he can't go and stand in front of people. So me, I didn't know all that conversation had taken place. Then he just saw me where I was. He said, David, can you do something for me? I said, yes, sir. What do you want me to do? He said, you will go on stage when I go to make the announcement about those things. He said, when you get there, you sit down, and you pretend as if you are writing. That's all I want you to I said, I won't say anything. He said, no, no, no. Just, I was four years old, barely just talking clearly. And uh, when, when the man went up, he now signaled me from where I was sat because we had planned that when he did that to me. I'll, so when I was walking up, people were watching. What's he going to do? He's not supposed to go up there. So I just came up, I pulled the chair, and I sat down, and I started doing that. I said, and then the man said, can you see how the child looks so efficient writing on the table? And people were cheering and clapping. And I was like, ah, this thing is serious. <laughs> if people enjoy this kind of thing, then that is serious. <laughs> but that was the first, first opportunity I had in life to sit in front of people that many. And then I discovered growing up that the more you put people in my front, the more I have energy. (laughs) Praise the Lord. There are some people, the moment you put two or three people, you have lost them. They don't want to see more than one person at a time. Me, if you put 3,000 energy, Ah. (laughs) 30,000. Hallelujah. Because there are differences of those gifts, and it is for a manifestation. So ministry of serving refers to the help we render to facilitate the operations of the church or the welfare of the saints. So when we talk about this table ministry, it is about the service God helps us to render to facilitate the operations of the church or the welfare of the saints. It is important that this is termed table ministry because it was born out of the need to service the body of Christ when it started to grow, this role was so important that the selection of people that were first put in table ministry was done so meticulously, and it was done as, and they were even ordained as the first set of deacons that we know in the church. This, the word deacons in the Greek translation just simply means servant. Sadly, in the body of Christ today, we have taken the word deacon to mean many things, But deacon, diacony, as it was in the the original Greek word, translation or the Greek word, is directly meaning servant. Somebody who serves. Somebody who serves. And when Jesus was living in John chapter 13, he taught the disciples that this was going to be key. That every one of them, no matter the office they occupied, whoever they are, they must be Servants. And so he took off his robe in John 13, guarded himself, as the Bible says, put a towel on himself, and he began to wash their feet. And remember the story? Peter said, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. They he said, not just feet, wash everything. Because it was a demonstration that every one of us is called to serve. It is, it is important that we understand this. There is no executive Christian There is no Christian that gets to a point in their their walk with God that they they, they should stop serving. There's nothing like that. Everyone must be hands-on regardless of your calling, regardless of your anointing. Now, we have different levels of service, and some people will be much more operational than others, but it does not exonerate anybody from being a hands-on person within the body of Christ. So when we talk about table ministry, we're talking specifically about those who are called to either be in the deacon's office or similar. With or without the ordination, they are called to be very operational. They take care of the nitty-gritty things of the church. They may not be operating and called into some of the strategic decisions that the apostles, the pastors, the evangelists, and prophets will will be party to in in advancing the church and growing the church and shaping the way of a a church mission. But they are so essential because without their duty, without them fulfilling their duty, there can be a lot of hiccups in the body of Christ. So the other scripture we read during the Bible study, uh, Bible reading, is Acts chapter 6, just to remind us of what happened when this ministry was first set up. A prelude to Acts chapter 6 is that, Acts chapter 2, the pouring of the Holy Spirit left to the believers speaking in tongues. Church exploded. Over 3,000 people added after Peter's message. Acts chapter 3, wonderful miracles began to take place, particularly at Gate Beautiful when that man was healed. Acts chapter 4, uproar, many things. Began to happen and the believers were now getting more and more in number and then a community was set up where people were bringing their land, bringing their houses, selling their things and making sure that the proceeds was put to the apostles' use so that that work can continue to grow and then there can be welfare for those who are less privileged. In Acts chapter 5, we know Ananias and Sapphira were struck when they were trying to do things not in line with what they have promised the Lord. Just as a sign to say this is serious business, the Holy Spirit was involved. Then in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, they were now in their thousands. Imagine, within 50, 60 days, within 90 days, within three months, 120 people suddenly growing to a number of 3,000, 5,000. It needed a more serious management and operational base. That was what led to the formation of the table ministry, as we call it today. The Bible says, when the number of disciples was multiplying, then there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. You see, when we read this, it should let us know that complaints in the body of Christ are not new. When a section of the body complains, it is not for us to say what is wrong with them. They are crazy. Why are they always complaining? No, no, no. It simply means it is time again to refocus and think of the table ministry that should attend to that complaint. Now, I know that some compl- compl- complaints are a waste of time. I'm not talking about those kind of complaints or people who just complain and moan and whinge at everything. That's not what I'm talking about. For people who feel that we're, we're losing traction in an area, we're not able to serve some people in an area where we're having that some of our youth, we don't, we're not attending to them. Some of our widows are being neglected. Some of our younger, the elderly, whatever. Whatever that thing is in that church, wherever that church is, when there is a complaint, don't take it negatively. Do like the apostles go back and strategize like the first apostles did to make sure that that complaint is attended to by the table ministry that should attend to it the bible says when there arose a complaint by the hebrews or against the hebrews by the hellenists the hellenists were the, a bunch of the converted gentiles who as you know hebrew and gentile they were always that fraction where hebrews always initially felt as they were superior and they were the custodian of, you know, the, the, the synagogues. They were the custodian of the Jewish culture and so on. So they always saw the Gentiles as, you know, a, an outcast people. And Jesus came and showed them by, by, by reaching out to the Samaritans and so many other people that he has come to unite. And it was no longer just about the Hebrew nation, the Jewish nation, but about everyone, Jews and Gentiles. And so when the apostles were growing and people like Peter were still in charge of the church. Don't forget, Paul was not yet on the scene at this point. In fact, Paul was one of those against the church at this point. Saul, Paul, was one of those against the church at this point. So most of them were still Hebrew in nature, in understanding the apostles. They were still very much inclined to their kind. I'm giving a background to this like this so that we can understand how in the body of Christ we can easily lose focus on those people that may not exactly represent our social background. And when there is a need to make sure that they are not alienated, we shouldn't feel that why are they saying things that way? That we should just get, you know, just carry on. The disciples, the apostles did not say so in verse 2. The Bible says, they now went, the 12, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They are not saying that serving tables is bad. They are not saying that serving tables should not be done. That is where we got the, the word table ministry, serving tables. But they said the key thing we should be doing is that we should make sure that we continue with the word of God and not to just serve tables. But we recognize that there is a need to serve tables. He said, therefore, brethren seek out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the holy spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business over this work seven men and their intention it was so important that they said men of good reputation men full of the Holy Spirit. Now, there has been a lot of theological debate whether that men means only men and no women. But we know that there are several examples in Scripture, people like Phoebe and people like Dorcas, people who served in the same kind of office, not necessarily among these first men, who we still regard to today as serving as deacons, who were able to address a task and were able to coordinate it, operational task. But there were still people who were required to be full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, and they were appointed. And then, verse 4, it says, but we will give ourselves continually to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. Predominantly, prayer and the ministry of the word is what keeps the church functional. Without the ministry of the word, there is no food, as it were. It is the word of God that is the spiritual food For the body of Christ. And it is prayer that enables the word of God to bear fruit in the lives of God's people. However, we must serve tables to allow for our welfare and our operational being to be uh, well catered for so that we can serve. The reason why people pay their ambassadors and take care of all their welfare needs is so that they can focus So governments send ambassadors to countries like we are ambassadors on earth as Christians as we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Then they take care of all their needs so that they are not thinking about school fees. They are not thinking about uh, how to shop and where to shop and all those things. They take care of all those things so that they can focus on the assignment of representing the kingdom. It is the same thing. God puts the wisdom in us So that whilst the ministry of the word and prayer is going on, we are also continually giving ourselves continually to prayer. And then verse 5 talks about the people they chose, among them Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procus, Timon, Nicholas. And again, you can see Nicholas there, a proselyte from Antioch. The people from Antioch at that time were the converted Gentiles. They were not directly Jews. So they they, they made sure that it was equitable. They made sure that the selection of the people were God-fearing people, no doubt, but it had an equitable distribution of people with different backgrounds. What am I trying to say? The table ministry is one that we have misconstrued its place very much in the body of Christ. It is important we revisit it and see how important it is to uphold. We lay a lot of emphasis on the fivefold and everybody feels if they are not serving in the fivefold they are not really in ministry. And that is wrong. There are people who will never ever in their life it's not a curse. They will never ever in their life stand behind a pulpit till they die. They will not. Not because anything is wrong with them or because they are sinners or they are, no, it's just because they are not called to any kind of pulpit ministry whatsoever. But yet, any church that they serve, as long as they use their gifts well, will never ever be without feeling the effect of their service. This is how important some aspects of the table ministry is. The Bible says that that saying pleased the Jews, and it pleased the whole multitude, and when they chose those people, they set them before the apostles. And when they had prayed, I like that verse very well. The Bible says, and when they had prayed... Sorry. Can I have it back? I've missed it up. Sorry. Verse 6. It says, Whom they sent. Thank you. Verse 6. Whom they sent before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. They laid hands. They prayed and laid hands. They commissioned. This is what we call ordination today. When they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And then the Bible says the word of, of God spread. The word of God spread, and the number of disciples did what? Multiplied. Because they put in place a system that facilitated efficient operations of the church. And it grew greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now we know the rest of the story that, yes, things were going well in Jerusalem, but later on God scattered them to go to other places when we go to Acts chapter 8 verse 1. But that's not the key thing I want to say today. These people were chosen, and we must understand that when the body of, in the body of Christ, when you are commissioned to do something for the church, when you are commissioned to do something that necessitates an operational activity in the church, see it as ministry. You are not less important to those who are standing behind the pulpit and preaching the word or leading prayer or reading the scriptures. You are not less important. Everyone, the Bible says, we all are members of one body, and everyone members of one another. So we being many are one body in Christ. So we being many are one body in Christ. But having then gifts differing according to the grace that is upon us, let us use them. Let us use them. So I'm saying this because it has become very important to understand. In many churches today, a lot of people are ordained as deacons and they get very confused. They get very confused. The the ministry of a deacon is not a governing ministry. I have seen where deacons have virtually tried to hijack churches many times in this my life across nations where deacons just gather together and they, they push out pastors. I've seen it. (laughs) the people that was appointed by the pastor himself they gather together and they frustrate the man and the man packs his bag in fact there was one pastor in 2002 he came to me and said pastor I've had enough I had to leave he left the church left the town left everything I prayed for him I said you have to go back because it's God that sent you he said no pastor I'm tired every Sunday one trouble or the other that's not what they are called to do. Even if things are not right, there is a way to put things and use the wisdom of God by prayer and wisdom to get things working well. So, deacons must understand. Anyone called to be a deacon, and you see, this title itself, if you notice, they were, we are the ones that eventually called them deacons. And then we saw how Paul, like we read, we read in 1 Timothy 3, how Paul was talking to uh, uh, Timothy about the qualifications of deacons. They were not necessarily even given that title, but they were recognized. They were recognized in those offices as men of honor, men of reputation, or people now of reputation, and people who had the Holy Spirit. It was very important. And so there are some qualifications for those people who will serve as deacons or key members of the table ministry. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about these things when he was charging Timothy, who was like his pastor in, over the church there. He said in verse 8, Likewise deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to too much wine, not greedy for money. I remember this scripture every day. I remember this scripture I remember sitting next to some young people, again, in, my, in, my, in the church of my birth when I was just a teenager. I started going to secondary school that time, and we used to be in boarding house, but we come back for the holidays. One of those holidays, I think it was 1983, 82, 83, I was in year 9, year 8, one of those kind of times in, in our equivalent study of uh, today. Anyway, I got back, and I remember sitting next to some youths. That were arguing about drinking that time, that they are not allowing them to drink. So I always remember what they did when they, they said, you see, the Bible said too much wine. <laughs> Why are they disturbing us? They said too much wine. And I never forgot that scene. He said, hey, he didn't say we shouldn't drink. And they were arguing, they were talking to them. So he said, he didn't say we shouldn't drink. He said, he said, too much wine. Why are they disturbing us? <laughs> Praise the Lord. And that's all they picked from there. There were so many things talked today, but the too much wine was a problem for them. <laughs> but you see, the Bible is complete. And no matter how we want to interpret the Bible, we cannot, we cannot be wiser than the word of God. Praise the Lord. He said, Dickens must first be reverent. People who have the fear of God. That is reverence. People who put God first. People who do not see themselves as anything without God. People who have the fear of God. If you put people without the fear of God, no matter how much tongue speaking they they speak, no matter how much they do things, if they have the fear of God, you are putting in place potential disaster. They can be brutish. They can do anything. They can be divisive. They can cause a lot of problems in the body of Christ. And this has happened many times. Many people have been seen as zealous and attending and giving, and doing so many things that would look okay in the real sense of it. But they have not yet been assessed very well for reverence. And so they are put in positions. And in next to no time before you know it, chaos all over the place. Because it starts with reverence. He said they must not be double-tongued. They must be people whose yes is yes. And no is no. The moment there are people who, when they say yes, everybody say, ah, actually, you know, that brother, anytime you say yes, that means it's not. <laughs> they are, those ones are confusionists. Because let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. They must not be double-toned. They must be people of integrity of words. If they say, I will be there, it means they will be there. If they say, I cannot come, it means they really cannot come, not that they didn't want to come. If they didn't want to come, they say, I don't want to come, not that I cannot come. There are two different things. You know that. I hope we understand that. If I say, I don't want to come, it means I could come, but I don't want to come. But if I say, I cannot come, it means I would have come, but then I am you know, unable to come. So they must not be double-toned. They must be people who are not given too much wine. Like I talked, that has been a sticking point for many people. Why would the Bible talk about much wine? We can go on and look at every scripture that talks about wine, being a mocker, being a brawler. Anything that has the potential to burn is better to leave it as it is. It's better to move away from it. And many people do not understand this, that it is not about the drinking of the wine that is the problem. It is the potential of what the drinking of the wine can do to you. So if something has the potential to harm you, it's best, the first line of defense is to move away from it. Praise the Lord. In my teaching of construction, health, and safety, and in the practice of it, the first thing we say is that if there is a risk in something, the first thing you try to do is to eliminate the risk. Isn't it? You eliminate it completely. That's the first thing you should try to do. Because when you eliminate the risk completely, then you're okay. You, are, you don't have anything to worry about. So you don't have to start to think about how to mitigate it or you know, plan against it. Because you've eliminated what is causing. You eliminate the hazard that causes that risk. This is the same way we must understand that as a people, we must know that the, the, the giving of ourselves to wine, it has a potential to disrupt. It is a mocker. It is a mocker. That is why he said they are not giving too much wine. He said that such people are not greedy for money. That's another problem in the body of Christ today. People who are greedy for money cannot be trusted. Many times in the table ministry, people who are serving, representing the church, will be given money to do things. And they believe you. When you say, I bought that thing, 50 pounds, nobody should go and be checking again whether they sell it 35 pounds or something. Because it, it makes the work harder. So you are expected to be somebody who will handle the 50, the 500, the 5,000, the 50,000, whatever that church has in level. I've been part of ministries, in, I've been part of work in this country where ministries were issuing contracts in hundreds of thousands, even in millions. Right in this country. And at times people are trusted within the congregation to manage those funds. So it is all about Trust. Now, it is usually those appointed as deacons that are required to hold up that level of trust. So we must not be a people greedy for money. This does not just go on to deacons alone. All these qualifications are required by every Christian, but particularly those who we serve in these various offices. And so it is important for us to see that. And in verse 9, in verse 9, he said, holding the mystery, 1 Timothy 3.9, thank you, holding the mystery of faith with what? A pure conscience. A people who are convinced about what they believe. This is another thing. It's good to be good with your hands. It's good to be uh, good in the service of the ministry or the table that you are serving. But you must be a person who understands the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Because people will ask you questions. It's not good that somebody is serving as a deacon or as a leader of a table ministry in the body. And a new believer comes in and they say, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Ghost? And then the person says, uh, actually, you know, in fact, you, we have to see pastor. <laughs> it is not good. <laughs> you are expected to know the mystery of the faith. You, don't, you are not expected to know everything, but those basic things that make for doctrine of the faith and particularly the vision of the mission that you belong as it fits within the Great Commission, is expected to be known. He says, So these people must know the mystery of the faith. It's like somebody who is a waiter in, an, in a restaurant. He says, Do you have this food? And he says, Ah, I'm not quite sure that we are serving, that we have ever served those. Let me go and ask the manager. And then he goes and comes back. He says, Oh, we don't have it. And then you ask for the next one, he says, Ah, let me go and ask the manager. By the third time, because you would have gone to the next restaurant, <laughs> you would have gone to the next restaurant because before you pay, you would go ask the manager again. Too. <laughs> so it's the same way. We say waiters; they are to wait on us. They they should usually know everything. My friend and I, John, John, John Lokomuna, I'm sure if he hears this, he would he would have a very big chuckle. We went to Zambia, his home country, in the year 2012. And we went, lovely restaurant, lovely. You would think you were somewhere in Europe. This was in Lusaka, Zambia. September 2012, I'll never forget. And uh, we went to this place and the waiters came out and said, what would you like to order? No paper, no tablet, nothing in their hand, no pen, nothing. Trust Africa. Africans are wonderful people. I don't know where they came from. And we were about 10 of us around the table. And the guy said, Yeah, you, you. <laughs> okay, okay. He collected that order. I said to my friend John, I said, You these guys are wonderful. You mean they don't need to write anything I said, don't mind them <laughs> that they are going to bungle it up. But when they come, we will know how to share it. I said, okay. And true, true, as they arrived, the, the guy first looked at me. Put one large bottle of beer like this, put it in my friend. <laughs> I said, Ah, I didn't ask for this. Thank God it's not the day of social media that <laughs> somebody is snapping you in real time. You just see, Pastor, we see 12 <laughs> inch bottle of uh, lager. <laughs> uh, I said, Pastor. <laughs> oh, God, have mercy. Remember, I just put the beer in my front, carried my mulch, gave to another person. You know, you know, say, just don't worry. Just, he said, Leave them because you understand. He said, Leave them, leave them, leave them. <laughs> he said, They will get everything right. It's just that they mix it up with whoever. <laughs> So when they go, we sort it out and say, wow, this is, (laughs) hallelujah. (laughs) You need to know how to serve. We need to know how to do it well. And so it is important that we do these things. He said, let them all be first tested, verse 10. Let them all be first tested. This is why it's good to observe people very well. And then we give them these offices. Then they serve. He said, let them be temperate. Let them be uh, let them being found blameless. Being found blameless. Blameless there does not mean sinless. There's a different thing between blameless and sinless. Nobody is sinless. Anybody has a potential to sin. We have all been saved from sin, a life of sin. But we can all make mistakes from time to time. We just need to understand. But blameless means it's not somebody who is living in a perpetual sin that is known to everybody. Is known as a perpetual sinner in a particular area of life and is doing it with, and he has been corrected or she's been corrected and he's just refusing to let go. That is a blame that must not be taken lightly. And so we can go on. Verse 11, he said, Likewise, their wives, the women, must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Those words are self explanatory. He says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Now, I'm making this emphasis because, you see, when we think we are serving in the body of Christ and we are doing things, we may not understand how important it is to be reverent in those offices. The husband of one wife is very important and ruling children well because that sets a good example. Many times people have said, is God against polygamy or whatever? There's nothing that says anywhere that if anybody has more than one wife, they will go to hell. There's nothing like that. What makes us saved and, and gets us converted to, to go to heaven is that we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. However, if, you, if time permits me, time does not permit me much, but I'll quickly just touch on this. If you look at God's first word to man in Genesis 2.24, He said, for this purpose will a man leave his father and mother, and cleave to his wife. Not his wives. <laughs> cleave to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. That is Genesis two twenty four. After Genesis 3, when man fell, a lot of things were permitted by God. Even the kings they had. Remember the dialogue with Samuel? It was a permissive will of God that they started having kings. God wanted to be their only king, so he permitted it. So he was permitting a lot of polygamy along the line and all those things. But you see, Genesis 2.24 is a type of Ephesians chapter 4 that, and chapter 5 that Paul talked about, the bride between Christ and the church. So Genesis 2.24, like I said, everything in the Old Testament is a pointer to the coming of Christ. Jesus Christ left the heavens. He left his father and he came to the earth. He became flesh and he basically married the church. And today he is going back, to, he has gone back to come and take that bride. So when the, the Bible says, let the deacons be persons of one wife, it means let them replicate the true essence of the symbol of marriage in the church because the marriage is about the bride of Christ, the entire church, and Christ being the bridegroom. So that when they live that way also, it gives them a constant reminder that I am committed to this one bride, and I am committed to my faith, and I can exemplify it by my marriage to this one bride of mine. Praise the Lord. So that is the main essence of the deacons being the husband of one wife. It is just because it is a Very good type. It is the type of the church, that of of the coming of Christ, that God had instituted right from the foundation of the earth. And ruling children and their own houses is self-explanatory. It must be people who can lead by example. So when we talk about serving tables, we're not talking just about being deacons or having an office. Many times we may not be ordained, Many times we may not talk about an ordination, but we must keep serving. Many times we may not be recognized in an office per se, but we must understand that it's about having a table to serve and doing it. Those of us who teach in Sunday school, those of us who teach the children, those of us who teach young people must understand that we are serving tables. It is a particular type of table in the body of Christ. Those of us who teach, who perform works of administration, who help with accounting, who help with the finance records of the church, those of us who help with the policies that we need to follow, the HR policies and the other policies, our, our, our safety policy and so on, our administration policies, you are also serving tables. Those of us who work in the maintenance, where we call in our church, we call them the life clean team, you are serving tables by cleaning the place. If you don't clean the place, it is difficult for people to gather there and meet there. Those of us who work in transporting others and helping others to move around from time to time, we're serving tables. Those of us who have given up our time and say, if somebody needs to move from one place to the other, I'm willing, I've got my car, I just need to be told ahead of time, I've got a van, I can help. That is serving tables. It's a need in the body of Christ. Those of us who take it upon ourselves, I'm talking about these things because there are still some of the areas people can take up. Those of us who take it upon ourselves, that if somebody is moving into town, they take it upon themselves to help them look for a house. And they go from place to place, help them searching, help them doing all the things. Because we have a person who is serving table in that area. Those of us who usher and greet people, we may not have a title in in the Bible, but we are also serving tables. You must understand that we are serving tables. Those of us who specifically strategize for outreach, all of us are called to evangelize, but those that specifically strategize for outreach, we are serving tables. Musicians, choir members, we are serving tables. Even though in your ministry you are also doing some elements of teaching, elements of exhortation, elements of worship because they are all entrenched, but basically you are serving tables. Music directors. Those of us who are audio, video technicians helping the broadcast to happen, IT specialists helping things to happen, you are serving tables. You are serving tables. And you may, not, you, you may not be seen. The brother that helps us to put our audios on all the platforms that are available online today, virtually all of them, more than 90% of them. Many of you here don't even know him. He used to be here, but he took it on. He never stopped. He went all the way to the United Arab Emirates to work for two years, came back to this country in another far place. He's continued because he felt a commitment to serve tables in this this congregation that way. And it's a lovely thing to see that people can understand that this is a ministry that doesn't necessarily have to take a pulpit recognition, but is continually working. Let us not look, let us not wait for things to happen and be called upon, every time you see something that needs to be done, that is a call for you to do it. Unless that thing is outside your expertise, or is outside your total control. That's a call for you to do it. I know that people clean this place, but it doesn't mean that if you see something that needs to be picked up, or that needs to help the place be tidier, you say, oh, life clean team will do it, or I'll come and call life clean people. No, you just do it at that point. There, there are things you can just do. One minute you've done it. We have a lot of reed that grows on the, on, the, on the car park from time to time. Many times people don't notice. You think we are the ones that planted it as flower. It's not flower. They are weeds. We don't want them there. If we leave them to be growing like that, one day you will see the house moving like this. When it becomes a tree, <laughs> you will just see the building moving like that. <laughs> So you can come around five minutes. I've done it many times. Just wear your gloves. Come around five minutes. You can come with your wife or something. One Saturday morning, just open the gate there. You don't need to tell anybody. Just pull it out, pull it out, dispose it, and get rid of it. Make it tidy. Don't say only life clean should do that. Many times the people who are in life they come from work on a Saturday morning, early in the morning, and then they just put in a few hours here to get it all ready for Sunday, and then they go home to rest. Many times we can work it together. Let us understand you have a gift to be a website administrator you can help with social media this is the day and age of social media don't say i don't they've not given me anything to do i don't know what to do no go and research go and say pastor you know i have discovered this platform we can use it now this is what i can do i can help set it up i can manage our twitter account that is one area we have not really been featuring much because i can't be everywhere We can have a very good, we have a Twitter account, we have an Instagram account, we have all those accounts. You can say, Pastor, I want to take it on. I want to take it on. At the serving tables, then you are putting the content yourself. You are just asking, we have a lot of content. We just need people who will commit to making it happen. These are the things that don't take away from the ministry of the word and prayer. From those who should concentrate on the ministry of the word and prayer. Kitchen workers, nursery workers, treasurers, accountants. We have a large volume of money to process every time. What I mean by large volume is every offering, every tithing, everything has to be well accounted for. Who gave it, when, well properly documented address of the person. Because we are a regulated charity, we have auditors that go through these records. It takes pain for many people to sit down to do it. The more hands we have in looking at those, it helps the process. So to start to conclude this today, I want us to know that this table ministry is very essential. We don't talk about it much because people expect you to either be an evangelist. Say, "What's your calling?" You say, "Ah, I'm an evangelist." <laughs> What's your calling? "Ah, I'm a prophet." <laughs> that is all people <laughs> talk, you know. And I always say, you know, it doesn't have to be those things. You say, "What's your calling?" Oh, I, I help my church with the IT equipment. I help my church with the with, with the social media. I manage the social media. I manage this account on the social media. Fantastic. That's something. That's a calling. That's a table. Oh, I help my church to make sure that all the widows are always supported, especially in times like this. We're calling them, we're checking them, we're, we're making sure that they're okay. And so on and so forth. I help the protocol team to do some logistics. When they have not found people, I have given them my number that anybody they need visiting, they should just tell me. I will go for them. I may not be part of that group per se, but I have given them my number that they can always call me. When we have visitors and they have to be picked up from airport, I have put down my name as somebody. The first car I got in this country was in April 2001, and somebody gave it to me as a gift. That's why I've been privileged to give out cars a couple of times as well, and I'm grateful to God for that. But I want to thank God for that person. I wanted to buy it off him. He was leaving the country. I didn't have a car at that time. I'd only spent about six months in the country. And I was in a church. He was. And then he said, God promoted him. He's going to take a big position back in our home country in Nigeria. And I said, wow, fantastic. And and then it came to me that I could buy his car off him. And I said... I called his name. I said, Sir, can I buy your car, that I would like to buy it? And uh, I was a student. So I said, I can't pay you everything at once, but I will pay you <laughs> gradually. <laughs> Just give me the account. I will make sure I pay you on a monthly basis. He said, OK, that's fine. That's fine. And we left the church that day. I was very happy. I told my wife, I think we have got a car now. Before that time, this man called Toby that you see here, I used to put him on my, on my neck. And he was about, what, three, four years old. We put him on my neck. And we walked to church in the cold, in the snow. That's how we used to get to church. The, 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 the mother was pregnant and uh, she would wait for the bus. Me, I can't wait for the bus because I've got some things to do in church before time. So she would wait for the bus. That's how we used to go to church those days, in the cold. And then Toby would be asking me, he'll say, Dad, where's the red car? Because he was born back home. We had a red car. I told you about my 406 then. He would keep asking me, Where's the red car? I say, Stop asking me about this red car. It's not in this country. <laughs> Because he knows that we don't used to go to church like this. What is happening? You know, children are very interested. Anyway, I told my wife, I said, now it's like we're going to get a car. And when Dr., I don't want to call his name, was leaving, he came to me on that Sunday. He said, yeah, these are the papers. I said, oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Why is the account? This thing, so let, I'll start next month. He said, no. He said, God told me to give you this car because he knows that you will use it to his glory. I said, no, sir, I, you know, I want to buy it. We want... I was happy inside. But... <laughs> I said, we want to pay. No, sir, we want to pay. But I was dancing on my inside. When, I, I, when he said I prayed for him, I thanked him. Then I went home. I threw the kid down. I said, we got a car free of charge. <laughs> my wife was so happy. We were excited. And we celebrated God. But you know something? That car became like a church taxi. As people were coming to the church at that time, people coming from abroad, settling in, did not have a car, I will carry them. My, my family will wait for me. I will carry them from, from center, Wolverhampton City Center. We will go to Pendiford, come back. I will go to Codsall, come back. I will go to all those places that you know around Wolverhampton, come back. At times, one hour later is when I come and pick my family. And they will go home. And I was doing that for weeks. Nobody asked me. Nobody said, Brother Dave, can you do this for us? But I saw that it was helping the church to grow. Because the complaint people used to have on Sundays, I, didn't, I couldn't get bus, I couldn't get this thing. So all those people who were complaining like that, I will go to their houses and bring them. So if you envy my car today, God will forgive you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just serve, just serve. Serving is very important. We need to walk in love all the time, Galatians five says, "For you, brethren, verse thirteen, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh." Galatians five thirteen. Only do not use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. But through love, serve what one another. Serve one another. This is what it's all about. For all the law is fulfilled in these. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15 says, but if you bite one another, this is what people are doing today, fighting. God said if you bite one another and devour one another, you'll be consumed by one another. That does not help the body of Christ to grow. Let us stop all the rancor, biting, biting fighting. That's not what the church is about. The church is a place where we are called to love one another, to serve one another, so that we can help the body of Christ to keep growing here. You can decide to help brethren, the welfare needs of brethren. It doesn't have to be only things for the church. You can decide to help the welfare needs of brethren. Look at those young couples. At times, you can collect their children. Say, you know, even for this COVID crisis and things like that, my wife and I used to do things like that. We'd we'll just say, you know, drop your children with us for, for, for a night and have some time out. And some people would do that. I have collected people's children in this church. I have babysat for children of people many times. Many times. I, I did one around 2015 a boy was about 3 years old so he said he needed the toilet i said oh okay let me arrange i said do you still use nappy he said yes i use nappy i said ah if you can tell me that you use nappy that means you just <laughs> My wife had a good laugh. I say, if you can tell me that you use nappy, that means you no longer should use nappy. <laughs> Anybody that can say, I use nappy, should not be using nappy anymore. <laughs> that was rule number one by David Oluke. <laughs> so when the parents came, I encouraged them. They said, they didn't have time. I said, you have to teach the young man. But I used to do it. I could do it. If I have the time, I could do it. It means nothing to me. If I'm studying at home or working at home and I'm very flexible, I can say, bring, this, bring the boy, bring the girl. And I'll take care of them. In fact, we have kept some. My wife and I, we've kept some overnight. where They stayed on our bed. Church members. Just because it allowed the the, the parents to be able to to go uh, and and work or do other things when necessary. I'm not saying when you're going to work at night, bring all your children to me. (laughs) But I mean it very seriously. These are things we can do for each other. At times, just look at people and bless them. Look at people and just help them. Philippians 2, go straight to verse 4 as I close on this. Philippians 2, verse 4, the last verse of Philippians 2, verse 4. Verse 4, verse 4. Verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. If we live life this way, many of our problems will be over. If, as a husband, you are always thinking about the interest, of your wife, and at the same time, your wife is also thinking about your interest, you will create a heaven-on-earth marriage for yourselves. If, as brethren, we're always looking, when I come to church, I'm not looking at what it is in it for me. Church has become what is in it for me, what is in it for me, and then that's why there's problem. That one say, what is in it for me, that one say, what's in it for me, pastor say, what is in it for him, ah, it's a problem. <laughs> But this one wants to be a blessing to that one. That one wants to be a blessing to this one. This one wants to be a blessing to all. Everybody wants to be a blessing. It's sweet. Don't look out for your own interest, but for the interest of others. John F. Kennedy said before he was killed in 1963, he said, think not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Very profound. Very profound. Actually, the church should be speaking like that. Think not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. When you do for your church, you will do for somebody what they need, and that person will do for you what you need. It works wonders. I pray that God will reignite in us a passion for the table ministry. Whatever you're calling, wherever you are, whatever God has called you to do, we are all meant to be hands-on in one way or the other. Nobody should ever be too big for cleaning the church. Nobody should ever be too big for doing anything in the church. Let us always do that with a sincere heart, knowing that it is about serving one another and helping one another. Some of us have children that have used certain things, books, software, and things. They've gone through certain stages, and they are still relevant. They can help other people. Let them know. Don't say, "Ah, let them go and find out. I I found out my time. Mm. Let them know. Let them know. Say, your son is coming through this phase. This is it. My, my, My child used this last year or two years ago, and it helped him. It could help. Let them know. Serve one another. Serve one another. And by so doing, God will keep helping us to grow. Not just within our local congregation, but many congregations and many people in the body of Christ worldwide. May God continue to help us in the name of Jesus. I'd like you to bow your heads today.